Hello and welcome to Feminist Fridays, your weekly intersectional dose of self-empowerment and equality. I'm your host, Sarah Liberty, coming to your airwaves from Sydney. This week, we have a guest who's going to share with us his journey into the wild and wonderful world of piercing. His name is Sterling Dania, and he works at Neon Needles in Sydney's Chippendale, and he's been professionally piercing body parts for 12 years. But before we meet Sterling, we're going to kick off with a track by Mark Ronson and Lucky Day called Too Much. But don't think that piercing is too much because we're going to be learning all about it very soon. Oh, oh, I can be an antidote What 
Hi, Sterling. Welcome to Feminist Fridays. Hi, thanks for having me. It is a pleasure. So I wanted to kick off by asking you where you grew up and what your earliest influences were. I, I grew up in, in Goulburn, which I, I guess in my mind I call a country town. But I know a, Goulburn. A, yeah, it's got, it's got a few people, but I grew up on a two and a half thousand acre property uh, about 20 minutes out of, out of Goulburn. Yeah, farm kid. Very similar to me. I grew up in Goulburn for a few years because my dad's a farmer. All right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I know that part of the world very well. Cool. And how about early influences? Was it sort of agri- agricultural, that sort of vibe? Or? Um, I, I guess so. Like um, my early influences were sporting, I guess. I, I was mm-hmm. um, you know, very interested in soccer and football. I uh, wanted to take that somewhere. Yeah. Um, didn't didn't really want to be on the farm. I wanted to get away from that life pretty quickly, but I guess yeah. that's, you know, most kids. Yeah. So today you're an expert body piercer at Neon Needles, but I'm curious to know how you got onto this career path. Was piercing something that you're always fascinated by? Was there an aha moment when you realised it was a passion and you wanted to pursue it professionally? I guess it it starts from uh, when I was quite young, I, I got quite sick and I ended up having uh, some paralysis from my, from my shoulders down to my wrists for a few mm. years. I wasn't able to move and be, being quite a sporty kid, this affected my self-image and, and what I thought of myself for quite a few years. Yeah. Um, Coming out of high school, um, being very interested in computing, but sort of being that sort of uh, loner nerd at school, it was very hard for me to have a social group. Um, yeah. And I sort of, I fell into to liking heavy metal. And part of the ah. aesthetic there is, you know, body piercing. Yeah. Um, so I one day decided to go out and get a piercing. I got my eyebrow pierced. Uh-huh. And I just liked myself a little bit more every time I looked in the mirror. Every time I added a new little bit of body art, it felt a little bit better. And, you know, I just continued continued on this way for a little while. Seems like getting the eyebrow down is an entry-level piercing for quite a few people. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a good alternative to getting an earlobe done. It's sort of like a an entry-level alternative yeah. uh, sort of tattoo. Yeah, uh, piercing, sorry. I sort of continued on that way for a little while working in the IT industry, uh, mm-hmm. which is a relatively conservative industry. So it's, you know, it's ties, it's button-up shirts, it's short haircuts and generally no visible tattoos or piercings at the time. Yeah. Um, about, you know, 15 years ago, I think it was. Um, uh-huh. So I, I moved into Canberra from Goulburn. Uh, for a job prospect working for the Catholic Education Office. Wow. Uh, which was, yeah, sort of the p- polar opposite to my lifestyle. Um, <laughs> it's a very interesting time. Um, and I moved in with a, a very nice group of people um, who I later found out were fetishists. Um, yeah, yeah, it was a. We like a fetish here. <laughs> um, and so uh, when I became a little bit older, they tried, you know, decided to take me along and show me a little bit about their world. Um, and I was introduced to play piercing and piercing for sensation. Yeah. Um, this sort of opened up my eyes to a whole new avenue of 
of what piercing is um, and yeah. introduced me in a way into the piercing industry from an alternative avenue. So I learned about piercing and how to pierce, but more for a sensation, for an experience, but yeah. not for the placement of jewellery. So it was sort of a, a weird sort of crossover. Um, and I decided I liked it and wanted to do it more for an aesthetic job um, and decided to sort of endeavour towards a piercing apprenticeship. I know. see. So you've sort of just touched on it, but tell us how you actually got on to piercing as a career. Okay. How does someone go about getting to be an expert body piercer? It's pretty tricky in Australia. Mm -hmm. um, it's uh, an unregulated, um, untrained profession uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, New South Wales education, any kind of tertiary education. Mm -hmm. um, so it's really an apprentice-based job. You have to take your resume around, bug as many pieces as you can, um, and eventually one might take you on for an apprenticeship if you can show them that you've got enough interest. I see. Um, it's very, very tricky in Australia. Yeah. Yeah, right. Okay. That's that's how the path starts. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to knock on some doors to, that's it. to get started. Yeah, yeah. Ah, okay. So I know I've got quite a few tattoos myself, and I know that you've got a few. I know that tattooing is one of the oldest human art forms. How long has piercing been around for? That, that's an interesting one. I, I guess that's sort of got two answers. Yeah. Um, we, we have piercing in like maybe a, a tribal sense, uh, more more an, an ancient prehistoric sense. Uh-huh. Um, we, you know, we know that piercing um, the ears, piercing the lips and piercing the genitalia date back uh, 25,000 years. Wow. Um, yeah, we know the Romans uh, practised nipple and genital piercing. We know that really? early Europeans practised ear piercing, mostly men, not so much women. Um, yeah. You'll see many paintings of Shakespeare and he'll have a gold earring. Ah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so we find that ears um, in European culture, we find lips and genitalia in African culture. So it's it's very old in that sense. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to the more modern things that we do, the, the well, of course, I actually miss the Indian culture as well. Nostril mm -hmm. piercing is, you know, prehistoric for them as well. Yeah. Um, so I guess the the more modern piercing culture which is sort of what I what I do professionally yeah um, that really dates back from um, I guess probably more the 80s 60s mm -hmm. um, so it it really started out in the UK and in some some areas of America um, and it was mostly in underground homosexual culture Interesting. Um, so it wasn't on the surface it was it was something that sort of stemmed from that group which is really cool, I think. I um, now I'm going to pay more attention to pictures of Shakespeare <laughs> to see his his gold earring. I didn't know that. I think we we really have um, two men, Mr. Sebastian and Jim Ward in in California, um, to thank for you know modern piercing as it is today. They okay. opened the first piercing studio, the Gauntlet, in California. Oh. Um, or Los Angeles, I think, actually, sorry. Um, and, uh, yeah, they're, they're really the people that sort of spurred it off from the underground scene into what we see today as a, a modern, um, you know, almost medical piercing practice, yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So what kind of piercings do you perform and are there certain types that are more popular than others? I think it ebbs and flows depending on, uh, you know, uh, popular culture, 
Um, yeah. But uh, I probably perform more more ear piercing and nostril piercing than anything else. I think they're the they're the two oldest socially acceptable piercings. Yeah. And what what about some of the other types of piercings? Like, I don't know the actual formal names, but the sort of below the lip and the the Marilyn Monroe style piercing are they? quite common and popular too? Um, I think it's funny. I think they were popular. Uh, Lip piercing was a little bit more of a a 90s, early 2000s piercing. But, you know, give it it a couple of years, we'll see them come back again. Everything sort of rotates. That's fashion, I guess. That's fashion. So if someone is thinking about getting a piercing, what kinds of things would you recommend they consider first? Lifestyle is the biggest factor that I would ask them to consider. You know, uh, are you a sporting person? Are you good with your hygiene and habits? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is this piercing going to be the right thing for you in, in terms of, of how you live? So, you know, I, I do have some sporty clients and they have to make a choice between, uh, you know, going to the gym and maybe taking a, a few weeks to a few months off to to start to heal a piercing well. Yeah. Um, and it just, you know, you have to be able to make that commitment to, to yourself um, yeah. because otherwise a, a piercing just won't heal well for you. Yeah, yeah, and healing is a very important aspect of it. Absolutely, yeah. And how long does it usually kind of take to get that healing happening? This varies from piercing to piercing, but we, we wouldn't consider even even the most simple piercing to be healed within three months. So so right. it's it's quite a while. It can take up to a year to heal a certain you know, certain piercings depending on a few factors, in, including your own lifestyle and, and biology, yeah. So if I was to make a plan to come into your studio for a piercing, what are some of the do's and don'ts to consider before you book that appointment? I would say the the best thing to do uh, before a piercing appointment would be to have something to eat um, and hydrate yes, well. Yes, very important. Yep, yep. Um, it, it really helps uh, you get through the piercing with, with minimal discomfort. Yeah. Um, I, I would recommend you stay away from alcohol the night before getting a piercing. It always yeah. sort of... It helps with the swelling effect that can happen uh, post piercing. Yeah, um, and don't come in with a with a bunch of friends who are all high energy and going to freak you out while you're getting it done. Yeah, yeah. right. But we don't even let them in the room, but you know, you don't want to you don't have your friends hyping you up. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I can just imagine running commentary could be a little bit off putting or distracting. Absolutely, especially if the friends are also nervous as well. So you know, when they sort of gasp, it can it can trigger a bit of a chain effect. Everybody can get a little bit anxious. Do you yeah. think that piercing is like on a pain scale? Where would you rate it like one to 10? Because I've had quite a few piercings done myself, and I would say that there is a bit of pain for about one second and then it's over and it's very, very manageable. But that's me. What do you, what's your thoughts? <laughs> to be honest, I, I do this job and I've done this job for quite a while, but piercings sp- spook me just as much as any client. Um, okay. When, when it comes to when it comes to the pain, I guess it um, it depends on the piercing, really. Uh huh. And again, it's very hard to say. It depends on each person. I, I find that some people handle ear piercings better than you know things like nipple piercings. Yeah. It, yeah, it really depends, and it's it's hard to equate it. And sometimes it can give you a little bit of a, a false sense of what to expect. Yeah, so I totally. Try, I try not to answer those questions uh-huh. too well, yeah. Are there certain types of piercings that can be more painful than others? Definitely, I, I think so. so. Certain piercings have a higher nerve content uh, mm-hmm. from, from where we puncture. Yeah. Um, 
and this this can be a little bit more painful for for some clients if if they're more sensitive to that sort of thing. Um, certain ear piercings, but they're generally unpop- unpopular anyway. Yeah, um, mostly sure. for aesthetic reasons anyway. It, not even the pain, so it's good. I don't have to put most clients through those those yeah. sort of, sorts of piercings. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I'm just curious to know about the equipment that you use. Is there like one type of needle that you use for all piercings, or does the type of needle change? The design of the needle stays the same. Yeah. Uh, we we use a professionally designed, uh, industry specific design of needle mm-hmm. um, called a, a tri bevel needle blade. Um, yeah. The only thing that would vary is the length and thickness of the blade, just depending on the jewelry and the piercing that I would do. I see. Um, I'm a freehand piercer. I like to use as little tools as possible to minimize any reprocessing of devices. Yeah. Um, or uh, any disposable devices, which you know. In, can be bad for the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes I'll use a longer implement or needle um, just to, to get a better angle and do a more efficient piercing, smoother for the client. Interesting. Yeah. So are there any myths around piercing that you would like to bust? Um, about a thousand of them. Um, <laughs> but but I'll, I'll talk about one that's, that's a little bit long-winded. Essentially, uh, the myth I want to bust is that you're safe no matter where you go in Australia for body piercing. Oh. Um, I, I want to clear up a, a, a bit of a, a problem, um, and that is that we don't have any regulation or licensing or training in Australia for body yeah, piercing. Yeah, right. It's a, an unregulated industry with very little oversight, mm-hmm. um, very little repercussions for practitioners that are not doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no TAFE course or um, course other than my bloodborne pathogens and my first aid course that I have to do to become a piercer. Yeah. Um, no training, no TAFE course, nothing. Um, mm-hmm. So you just need to be very careful about the, the person you get work done by mm-hmm. um, because it could be somebody who's learned from YouTube, somebody who's learned from a piercer that learned themselves 30 years ago, which means they're out of date with their learning, or somebody who's been trained at a chemist to use a piercing gun. Yeah. Um, so it's it's just very dangerous, um, and I would just recommend everybody to really make their piercer impress them, give them some info and prove that they know what they're doing. And those piercing guns that you see used at chemists, are they actually, you know, can they be used for a range of piercings? Are they something to potentially avoid? To, to answer the first part of that question, I, I would say that they're only really should have been used for earlobes, yeah. um, though I have seen them used on uh, nostrils and even in the rare occasion navel piercings, which is um, terrifying in my opinion. Uh, yeah. that's, a, that's a straight ear stud with a butterfly back through a navel, so it was pretty scary. Yeah. Yeah, um, people can get adventurous, um, especially when they don't have the the formal training to, to show them why they maybe shouldn't do something like that. Um, piercing guns um, are generally not efficient. I use a piercing needle that is uh, very sharp and designed to to puncture the skin with as little damage as possible. Yeah. I then put in a stud that is designed to heal and be worn um, as comfortably as possible. Mm-hmm. When I pierce, if I've never pierced with a piercing gun in my life, but if I were to pierce you with a piercing gun, I would be using a device that does both of those jobs at once. I don't believe it could do either of those efficiently. Um, it's a butterfly back stud generally with a pointed back, uh, which I can't imagine would be comfortable to sleep on. Mm. Um, it's definitely not sharp enough to puncture your skin well enough because otherwise you would end up puncturing your neck when you laid on it. 
Um, so, wow. so it's it's a brute force device that uses a pointed stud to fire through your ear at high force. Uh -huh. um, this does a lot of damage, creates a lot of scar tissue, and um, isn't great for healing the piercing. Um, yeah. Generally, the materials are not implant grade because, again, like I said about the licensing, we don't have any standards for jewelry quality in Australia either. So you could be getting jewelry that could corrode or rust um, put inside you. So that's, that's, again, something else you've got to watch out for. You need implant grade materials. Um, the other issue with the piercing guns is that often they are not sterile when they're used, mm -hmm. which means that there could be bloodborne pathogens involved or bacteria. So there's a high chance of infection or virus transmission from them as well. Jeez. Uh, they're not very safe and I, I do not recommend. I'm curious about the fact that this is like an unregulated industry. Why? I, I honestly don't know. It's hard to say. Um, there, there's a lot of arguments about whether it fits into the, the beauty industry. Yeah. Um, and from my research, it, it just sort of, it, it sits in uh, an un, somewhere near an unregistered health practitioner Yeah. Um, and the miscellaneous adult services industry. Mm -hmm. um, so e even when I was looking for clarification during COVID for the reopening plans, um, the health department couldn't give me a clear answer as to where I sat as an industry professional. Yeah, um, right. so it's it's just a bit of a, a gray area in Australia at the moment. Yeah. Um, and I guess it's because um, the 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 risk of serious infection is relatively low because people here are smart and we have healthcare that's accessible so people can go to a doctor as soon as they feel worried about something. Um, so so there's not a lot of repercussions because I don't think there are a lot of serious illnesses that that derive from piercing um, unlike some of the body modifications that we've seen happen recently. Do you think it would be helpful if this industry were to be regulated? Um, it, it's something that I would love to see in the future. Yeah. Um, it's Yeah, I, I would like to see some kind of minimum standard of safety because at the moment the onus is on you as a consumer to know whether or not I actually know how to do my job. Mm. And that's that's not right. That's It's... It's something that I have to deal with with every client that comes through the door. They come in not knowing whether I actually know how to do my job, yeah. having no confidence and just putting their trust in, in me within a five-minute period. And I, I appreciate this, that, that trust and I love it, but at the same time it worries me because they could be doing this with somebody else and I've, I've seen a lot of problematic piercings come from, from places that just shouldn't be doing what they're doing without some kind of you know retraining or um, some kind of update on their standards. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it yeah. It means the risk is on the consumers, and that's that's not how we should operate. No. Yeah. So, do you think that piercing is becoming more widely acceptable by society, or do you think there's still some stigma around it? I think it's a it's a it's a slow growing thing. I yeah. think uh, year by year we are becoming a little bit more broadly socially acceptable acceptable of piercings. Yeah, um, it's it's just tough. I think it'll be a generational thing. I think we'll we'll see a big change in about twenty five years um, when a lot mm. of us younger people are you know in a position of management in a position of um, directorship of businesses. Um, and I think it'll be I think it'll be less stigmatized for sure. I think so. I know that definitely uh, when I used to model, that was, you know, 20 years ago. And back then it, it was not considered like aesthetically acceptable for a model to have a lip piercing. I had lip piercing then. Um, and I was often asked by my agent to take the piercing out. And eventually I just had to take it out and leave it out. 
Um, so there was definitely like some stigma around it then. Um, but I have definitely seen a growth in the number of people with piercings and facial piercings are becoming more common and just, you know, there's less of a shock value. It's more of a aesthetically cool value. Yeah, I, I think so. I I think as time goes on with, with tattoo and piercing, we're starting to pull away from uh, the these two forms of expression as a symbolism of something else. So, yeah. we you know, ta- tattooing is, is pulling away from a very uh, criminal background. Um, yeah. You know, um, piercing is pulling away from from a very uh, a similar sort of background, I guess. It's, yeah. it's pull, pulling away from, um, you know, meanings of sexual orientation. It's pulling away from uh, stigmas of, of, you know, uh, hom- homosexual, uh, homophobia, sorry, um, from from the UK and the US. Um, it, it's got sort of a stigmatised background that it's it's sort of clawing its way from as well. It's uh, getting pretty inevitable, yeah, I, I think. Yeah, I'm yeah. looking forward to it. Yeah. And let's just talk briefly about the self-expression part. Like how do you think piercing sort of influences someone's self-expression? I think it's just a for some people it's another form of jewelry and yeah. it's a way for them to to create something a little bit more individual. Yeah. Um you know, if you could wear a necklace anywhere on your body, um it would be a little bit more interesting and we'd, we'd see more variation of that. But mm. with a with a stud with a, a little diamond or some opals or something, we can potentially place them anywhere. So it's there's a lot of variation for individuality there. Yeah. Um it gives you a chance to make you feel a little different, a little bit more yourself. Yeah. Um which, you know, which I love. Um it can be cathartic um, for for people like myself, uh, po- you know, post disability or dealing with disability, mm. um, to get a little bit of that bodily autonomy back when you don't feel like what you have is your own. Yeah, um, sure. And uh, it it can be a way to for people um, to feel like they own themselves again. Um, you know, I, I see it a lot with uh, post um, DV um, victims. I, I see it a lot with uh, people experiencing a lot of uh, self worth issues. Yeah, and that's that's what I'm really there for. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. So, tell us about microchipping because I know that you do it. I don't know if I'm using the correct terminology, by the way. But how long have you been doing it for, and how does someone go about getting chipped? I'm super curious to know for myself, I might be a p- potential microchip contender in the near future. Okay. Um, yeah, so I've, I've been uh, installing RFID and NFC devices for uh, probably about two and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, I just provide a, a capsule device service. So this is essentially a, a very small device in a glass capsule that we um, just pop, pop under the skin. Um, it the placement can vary, but most of the time it's on a wrist or a hand placement. At the moment, there's not a massive amount of popular use for them as it's it's still sort of a, a budding interest, a budding industry. Um, but we, we've seen interesting uh, uses from from people putting silly links to websites on them that you can scan with your phone, from people loading their medical history onto them, mm. from people coding uh, keyless starts for their, their vehicles or um, codes for their locks onto them. So there's there's an interesting sort of element of accessibility there yeah. that I really like, yeah. Fascinating. Um, so I, I don't provide the devices um, as I don't deal with the coding and warranty on the devices, but I... Um, I can point a client 
in the direction of the different uh, vendors of the devices. And if they bring them to me, I'll install them for them. Yeah. I really just deal with the installation element of it, but I love the idea of them. Awesome. And so are you seeing many people getting microchipped or is it, you know, relatively undiscovered at the moment? I I think it's relatively undiscovered. Um, I, I get the occasional inquiry for it. People are very interested in the technology, but I think culturally we're, we're very hesitant of, of these sort of more invasive technologies at the moment. Yeah. Um, I think people are just a little bit wary of Im- implanting technology under their skin. Um, I think there's a lot of um, ethics that uh, – or you know, I think a lot of public ethics that we're just trying to get around for it as well. People are mm. just sort of worried. Um, so it's it's not something we see a lot. Though the same technology in rings and bracelets is extremely popular. Yeah, yeah. right. Like, I guess if, you know, the chip is in your body, the security aspect of that is relatively high. Like, unless someone physically grabs your hand or your arm or wherever the chip is, they can't access that piece of information. Am I correct in thinking that? That, that is correct. So so a yeah. lot of people sort of go, hey, somebody's going to just scan that and steal your, steal your details. They have to be very, very close to you, if not touching you. Yeah. Um, so you, you would probably know that somebody's pretty much hugging you before you you, they had time to, to steal your device. Yeah, right. um, the devices are all uh, created with security in mind, so encryption um, you know, is another layer of safety on top of them as well. It's, it's not very likely somebody would be able to, to you know, penetrate your device. Yeah. Are there any yeah. particular like, microchips that you've done that have been particularly unique or unusual? Um, the most interesting one I've done was uh, an NFC chip with an, an LED installed. Right. Um, so when scanned, it lit up uh, from under the skin. So it was kind of interesting. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. One question I ask all of my guests is, as this is a feminist podcast, how has feminism been a part of your journey? And just to be clear, I'm an intersectional feminist, so I believe Feminism is about equality for all, not just women's rights. Um, so I grew up in um, a family of uh, three aunts and my mother. Okay. Um, so a, a generation of four four women yeah. um, who are all successful. Um, and so I, I owe that to feminism for sure. Um, I, my Myself and my sister both uh, had very... Um, severe disabilities at the same time Um, and my mother um, had quite a lot of support and I think I fit that to feminism as well. Yeah. Um, I I also don't have to pierce three-month-old babies and young girls um, just for the sake of uh, a a cultural expectation of appearance Mm. Um, and so I definitely owe that to feminism. Yeah. Um, and um, I, I get to fight cultural expectation of appearance every day. Yeah. Um, I, I get to, to try and encourage self-expression, self-worth and bodily autonomy um, in, in all of my clients um, and that they shouldn't be looking the way that, you know, the cultural expectation dictates that they should be. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's, that's how I try and sort of promote feminism in my work. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely an, an element of bodily autonomy when you think about piercing. Um, y- you know, it it is to me that like a form of self expression and a form of something that no one can take away from you. 
Absolutely. A yeah. bit like tattooing. Yeah, it, it's your body. Um, it's it's your experience. It's your life, and it's yeah, it's your decorations. Yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So, one final question: If my listeners want to find out about you and your work, um, maybe follow you on Instagram or another social media platform, or yeah. Um, just reach out and find out more about Neon Needles. How can they go about doing that? So feel free to plug a website, any social media handles or anything else here. Okay. Uh, yeah, so if you want to find me, um, I'm down at Neon Needles in Chippendale, Sydney. Uh, our Instagram is Neon Needles and mine is uh, 925. Um, and uh, if you mention Sarah's podcast, um, I can give you a 20% discount as well. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Thank you. We love that. Yay. Well, yeah, I, I love the name Neon Needles, by the way. Who came up with that? Uh, my boss did, actually, before he, he brought me onto the team. Um, he's, he's always been a, a bit of a wizard coming up with catchy names. Yeah. I, I love it. Yeah. It's definitely a catchy one. Yeah. Awesome. Well, it has been super fascinating. I'm obviously a fan of piercing and I hope that many more people will be too after they've heard this episode. So thank you so much for joining me in the studio. It's always very rock star to have someone in the studio with me. Um, It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much for having me. Well, we have served you another kick-ass episode of Feminist Fridays for this week. But before you head off, here is a new track by David Guetta and Ella Anderson called Crazy What Love Can Do. Because I'm sure after you've heard today's segment, you'll fall in love with the world of piercing. Run me up in diamonds, cover me in gold. But nothing they could buy me made my heart whole. I'd given up on romance, then I found you. Ain't it crazy what love can do? Crazy what love can do. Can someone tell me what is happening to me? Like this in my whole life Ain't it crazy what love 